0: Lord, thank you so much for your spirit and Gordy, that he's our brother, he's our friend, he's our um, fearful, sometimes leader, he's our fearless leader as well in you,
1: and we just ask God that you would bless us, open our hearts to hear your word through him. Um, Thank you for giving us such a good example of uh, someone moldable by your spirit. So let us learn through him and his experience that's only
0: born from his relationship with you. In Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Alec. Thanks, Heather. Awesome. Well, good morning again. And uh, uh, Kathleen, do you mind handing me my bag there? Sorry. Um, We're beginning a new teaching series this morning, so we welcome you. We've just finished six months of going through the Sermon on the Mount, and um, so, I believe, so preparatory for what we're going into now. Uh, this series is based on a book by Jay Pathick, who's the pastor of the Mile High Vineyard in Denver, and Dave Bunyan, who's a pastoral... Or, or, sorry, Dave, Dave Runyon, uh, who's a... I've t- been reading church history too much. Um, uh, who's a, kind of a, a colleague of his in Denver, um, two, two pastoral colleagues. And uh, Jay will actually be with us in the fall... He's going to be uh, uh, speaking at Vineyard Fest and uh, probably talking a lot about this. It's kind of a bit of a revolution happening um, with regards to this. So for the next four weeks, we're going to go through this series and uh, our home groups are going to be unpacking it. For those of you that are part of Welcome to the Vineyard that are joining us for that after church uh, and don't have any other group you're part of, uh, we'll give opportunity in each time to, to, to briefly uh, debrief uh, the teaching as well. Um, this, this whole series began, or sorry, this whole uh, topic began uh, as far as the book coming, coming out and, and, and the, the movement out of it. With a group of, of pastors in the Denver area that we're we're meeting is, is in, in a collegial way, much like a ministerial. But there, I, I, I've been around long enough to know there are ministerials and then there are ministerials, and 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 some some you just you know uh, you feel like are a bit of a waste of time, but there are others where they really are serious. Uh, thankfully, the one that I'm a part of here in East Vancouver, is is a wonderful ministerial. Very very. Uh, Proactive in terms of promoting relationship, and uh, uh, and and finding ways to uh, uh, collaborate together uh, in the city to to bring the kingdom of God. By the way, thank you for your prayers for for my meetings this week in Toronto. Uh, I met with the heads of about twenty-five different evangelical de- denominations. Some of these denominations, massive, massive denominations in terms of size and numbers and money. But it was incredible to just sit in the same room uh, with, with people who just are hungry for God and hungry to, to see this nation impacted. And, and there's just such a sense of humility and collegiality and, and, uh, and, and desiring to relate in, in, a, in, in authenticity. And I think it bodes well for the future of the Canadian church. And, and the things that I, I, sent, I sent out a prayer request to some of you guys to pray for, those things all happened and more. It was just such a tangible, wonderful answer to prayer. And when I have time, I'll, I'll unpack a little bit more on that. But it was just incredibly encouraging. I was saying to Alec, uh, for, for me, uh, in my role in leadership in the vineyard in Canada, It really helped me understand that the vineyard is not alone. Sometimes when you meet with pastors, you find you're not alone as pastors in a neighborhood. Well, it it was like as a movement. Many of the things that we're wrestling with and struggling with in Canada are are common across the board. And so it it produces a sense of humility, of teachableness, of, of listening to one another. But these particular pastors in Denver, they got together to dream and think about how they could serve their community... And they invited the mayor, which I think is a good idea, Bob Fry, to address them. And as he talked about the city of Denver, he, you know, he listed the normal litany of social problems that most big cities have. Kids at risk, child hunger, housing, drugs and alcohol, lonely seniors and shut-ins. And But then he startled these pastors with this statement. He said this, the majority of problems we face would either be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could learn how to be a community of great neighbors. He went on to say that programs are often not the way to address the problems that he had just listed. They, they often are stunted in their ability to have impact, but rather he said relationships that are ongoing and organic because When people are in relationship, when there's problems, they're more likely to be cared for. Well, when the the mayor left, our vineyard guy, Jay Passick, looked at his colleagues in the room and he said, am I the only one feeling slightly embarrassed here? We've just asked the mayor what is the best way we could actually serve our city, and he tells us as a group of pastors that it would be great if we actually got our people to obey the words of Jesus particularly the second half of the Great Commandment. Now, you know the Great Commandment, right? It's the one that Jesus said you can boil everything down to. When one asked him who was, what was the greatest commandment, Jesus' response was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like to it. In other words, Jesus I think would agree with what Alex said earlier. You can't really separate the vertical and the horizontal. He says you, you could you could boil it down to two, and they're very interconnected. They're they're, they're it's seamless, really. You, know, you love me, feed my sheep. The second is like to it: love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So all of a sudden the penny drops for these guys, and they go. You know, Jesus was a genius. He actually knew what he was talking about. He knew how his followers could change the world, and it wasn't really that complicated. So, it, it, leaded, it leads us to our opening question for today's teaching, and really for the service. What if, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, he meant your actual real neighbor? Well, the penny dropped, just like it has for Christine. Blessings. When the, so the next step was they invited the city manager, in, a lady by the name of Vicki Rye, Ryer, who had been giving talks to the city on neighboring. And by the way, Vancouver's really big on this. Vancouver is investing money and budget in this very thing I'm talking about right now because they know. City managers, city mayors, and council, they know what makes cities tick. They know what... what what deals with this what the most effective way of dealing with the social problems are. And I think there is a strong momentum in our own city that we can we can we can jump in on. It's not like we even have to start something. But she was talking about why neighboring matters, and then again she startled these this group of, of 20 pastors by saying these words. From the city's perspective, There isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non Christians neighbor in our city. Ouch. There isn't a noticeable difference in how Christians and non Christians neighbor in our city. Why? Why does that happen? Well, I think our text gives us some really good insight from Luke chapter 10. Where a similar uh, conversation occurs is what we read in Matthew just a minute ago, where it says, On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he, being a lawyer, looked for a loophole. No, that's what it kind of says that. But he, wanting to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, he wanted to justify himself. He was looking for a loophole. And, he, and I feel I'm no different. We're often no different than this lawyer who, rather than taking the plain meaning of what Jesus said, we look for rationalizations. We try to rationalize it away, make excuses, you know, yeah, but have we thought about this? Have we thought about that? And that's what's going on here. But what has happened is we have so spiritualized the term neighbor that it means nothing anymore. We try, we've tried to, as the church, and I grew up in this, where the neighbor is, is anyone. It's, it's some phantom person out there that we might happen to meet someday who's in trouble. So what has happened is the neighbor has become everyone And we're supposed to love everyone. And the problem is, is that when we try to love everyone, we can't love anyone. We end up loving no one. I love what the writers of the book said. They said this, if we're not careful, we can end up having a metaphorical love for our metaphorical neighbors. And the end result is we actually do nothing. We become inoculated to this command. So how did Jesus respond to this attempt for a loophole that this neighbor did? What was his response? Well, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. Now before I go on, I have to make a confession to you. I am so these guys. I am this guy. I'm this Levite. I'm this priest. I've often said, you've probably heard me say this before. These guys were people that loved that did want to love, that probably wanted to obey the Torah, they cared about these things. But they were probably on their way to teach at a seminar on pastoral care. Right? And they were late. So they didn't have time to stop. And there was something as as I, I've been preparing for this series now for months and months and months and been thinking about it. And so I was well in the groove already at Christmas time when I went to Calgary uh, to visit with our daughter and family. And I don't know how many of you I've told this, but but Danielle uh, and our son Christian were born in a little neighborhood called Crowchild Ranch, which when we were there was the edge of the city. Today it's the inner city. It's <laughs> just it's just exploded. Uh, but uh, Calgary is massive, you know. I mean, I think they've annexed Regina, the la- you know, the la- <laughs> and, um, and and it, it just it just explodes. And so it, you know, they moved back from Switzerland, and they could have lived anywhere. And housing, housing, rental housing there is is like it is here. It's difficult. And you know where they ended up. They ended up like literally a five minutes walk from where she was born, right? So we're back in this neighborhood where I spent 10 years in Calgary. This was my first uh, experience being a husband, being a father, being a pastor, a youth pastor of a, of a large growing uh, suburban church in Calgary, spent 10 years there, and For two weeks, we went and stayed with our daughter and and family in their home in this very same neighborhood. And in those two weeks, I learned more about the neighborhood than I'd learned in all the ten years that we'd lived there. And it just broke my heart because the neighborhood's incredible. Incredible little toboggan runs that I took with our, our grandkids. Little parks where we went for walks. Little viewpoints where you could go up and see the Rockies this way and the the Bow Valley and the city that way. It was just breathtaking. It was in the middle of winter. and the first week, it was forty below, and then in the next week, it was thirty above. You know, I mean, it was, it's, it's the Chinooks, right? And and the I learned more in 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 two weeks, and I was just prayer walking around the neighborhood and. And my daughter, they're very relational, and they have kids from up the neighborhood coming through the house all the time. And, and, and so you meet the neighbors, and you meet the kids, and you meet the kids, and you meet the kids, and you meet, kids and you meet more kids. And, and I began to reflect on that, is why did I learn so little about that neighborhood during the 10 years? And I realized is because I was part of a commuter church where I would get up in the morning and go to my office and I had a certain route that I would drive to an expressway, get on the expressway, drive 10 minutes to the church and there's nothing wrong with that but what happened is the church was so sucking all of my energy and my time. We had programs. We were feeding the poor. We were reaching the lost. We had street outreaches and I was just go, 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 go but when I came home, I had no juice left for my neighborhood. I was so tired. Uh, I could hardly have any juice left for my family, let alone the neighborhood. And on the other hand, Kathleen was kind of isolated in the neighborhood, and she ended up making friends and started a women's group, and she saw people come to Christ. So she did well there. But I, I, I looked back, and I realized how tragic And one of the reasons that we moved to Vancouver was to change all this. I was writing kind of for our Welcome to the Vineyard course this morning, how that uh, when we drove into Vancouver, we knew knew Vancouver very little. And we had stayed at Gideon Chew's place out in Poco. We drove in asking the Holy Spirit to lead us. And the only direction I felt I'd received from the Lord was to drive down Hastings Street and at some point turn south. And again, I knew nothing about Vancouver at that point. We turned south on Commercial Drive and ended up at Gravely and Commercial. We got out of the car, and uh, within a couple of of, uh, hours, I think we booked our first apartment over here in McLean, and we've lived within walking distance of that ever since. And and that's a wonderful feeling, but the the problem for me, again, is I realized that those habits run so deep, and you can just get extracted by life from your neighborhood, and you can be like this Levite and this priest walking by your neighbors. Well, let's read on. But a Samaritan, now a Samaritan, you've got to understand in the Jewish context, was the equivalent of maybe a terrorist? Maybe not the nicest, most attractive person in your congregation? They, this was the enemy, okay? Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, I want you to notice something here. It says, first of all, he saw him. In order, It's amazing how many things happened in Scripture that were miraculous, that were preceded by the words, Jesus looked at that person, or Jesus saw that person. There's something about seeing people that requires a certain pace to see. It says he saw the man and then he took pity on him. or He had compassion. That word literally means he was empathetic. He felt that man's pain. He realized, goodness, if, if I'd have been here maybe half an hour sooner, that would have been me, right? So there was a sense of not us and them, it's us, right? It's just we here. And he, this is somebody's husband. This is somebody's father. This is somebody's brother. This is somebody's son. There was that sense of connection that he had. And and then it says, He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is two days wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So think about the people in your block where you live. If you're in an apartment, or if you're in a, in a block in the city, you're living in a, a house, or duplex, or renting, or owning, whatever. Whatever your circumstances are, you think about the people in your one block. That if you were actually present to them, if, if you saw them, and you went to them, literally, relationally, and got to know them, what would you see? Right now, all we see is, is the houses. All we see is the person running to their car because they're late for work. But what's really going on? What kind of hopes, dreams? I was sitting on the plane coming back from Toronto on Wednesday, or Thursday, and I ended up near, uh, sitting next to an 80-year-old woman whose husband had just died of a heart attack in November, now a widow. Totally unexpected. And the thought came to me, how many people sitting on this plane right now represent grief, represent loss, represent heartache, How many people in your neighborhood are are like this man laying by the roadside? But we don't see them because we don't stop. We can't stop. So then Jesus goes on and asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law, I almost think Luke inserts that as a bit of a dig, right? Uh, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So again, Jesus completely, as we've talked before, he completely turns the argument on his head. Instead of who is my neighbor, who are you neighboring? That's our s- series topic. It's not who is my neighbor, it's the art of neighboring. Being a neighbor. And the cost of not doing this, the authors outline three things. Number one, I think we've all experienced this, isolation. You know, in some of our communities, somebody, you know, they want to go to work, they get, into their, they get their car warmed up in their garage, you see them pull out in their car, they disappear, when they come home at night, they go into the garage, disappear, and there's this isolation, we know, we know nothing about them. And when, when there's no knowledge, there's fear. Rather than being friends, we're wary of people. Maybe their bass is playing really loud, and we're wondering what's going on. There's a funny smell of some kind of thing wafting through the neighborhood from the house, and we're going, okay, you know, the lights are on at 3 o'clock in the morning. What's going on, right? Um, And usually what that leads is to misunderstanding, where we tend to judge people by appearances. We make assumptions about them. In the book they write the story, true story about a man who was upset because of the appearance of one of their neighbors' house on the block, because the, they had two garage doors that were hanging and not working, and, and, and half opened, and, and it looked terrible. The, the house was an eyesore, there was junk in the yard and weeds, that it hadn't, the lawns hadn't been mowed, two cars the bat, that were dead sitting in the driveway, the tires flat, whatever, Kind of like that truck out there. <laughs> um, and um, he was so frustrated, you know, he wants to do a city good, so he phoned the inspectors. And they came in and dinged that person with a, with a fine, gave her a ticket. Well, he was complaining about it a couple of days later, and the neighbor said, oh, oh, oh that's so-and-so. That's a single woman. Uh, she's living in that house, uh, has been a lone occupant, but she had to quit her job, because she's nursing her mother who's dying from cancer. You see, there's so much grief and pain in our city and often all we see is the surface and we don't see what's behind the surface. Maybe, maybe that Levite and that um, priest said, look at that bum. He, what he, what's he doing laying there? He get a job? Right? Depending on society to give him a hand up. See, we, we judge by appearances. And, and by the way, in our, in our city where we live, I've learned to make the homeless part of my, they're my neighbors. They're my neighbors. The binners that come down the backyard, they're my, they're my neighbors. That's the, they get the gleanings. Remember Ruth? They left the harvest and Boas, they left the gleanings. They get our bottles. They get the stuff that I don't have time to go recycle. There was a time when I couldn't afford to do that. But I can now. Yeah, we, when, when we arrived in Vancouver, that was us. We were the binners. It's true. And so, fortunately, this story has a happy ending because the guy repented. And he went to that woman, found out what her needs were, and organized her work, bead, fixed up her garage, cut her lawns, got the cars working, and provided support for her as she nursed her mom till, the, till her dying day. So the vision of this series is quite simple. Right now, living next door to you or in your neighborhood is a stranger or strangers. And our goal is to move to becoming acquaintances and then a relationship, friendship. And we have some strategy to get, get that way. Now, I know that different ones of you are in different places in your life, but it doesn't matter. Whatever season you're in right now, the Holy Spirit can work through whatever limitations you have. Some of you, you, you never know if you're going to be evicted in a, in, a, in a week. You know, you, you, you don't, you know some of you are students, and, and there's transience. But no matter where you are in your life, there's a window of opportunity. So we're going to do today in a few minutes what's called a block map assignment. And, and I'll explain that. It's in your bulletin. And then there's going to be a block party assignment. Now that doesn't mean that you have to do it. You may not be the person to do it. We're going to, we're going to outline in the weeks to come some strategy. The city of Vancouver has already set aside money and grants for people to do block parties this summer. I think the deadline is the end of May to get those applied for. We'll, we'll get you some information on that. But maybe there's somebody in your neighborhood, it's true of our block, who's way better at that than we are. We just jump in. So whatever your gift is, you jump in. You, there's there's a, a man of peace or a woman of peace who lives in your neighborhood who's, who's kind of that connector. Remember when Jesus said you look for the man or woman of peace when you go into an area. And, 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 and you, you, you work with what the Father is already doing. In your neighborhood. So we'll, we'll talk about that in the, in the weeks to come. But I want to challenge you, wherever you are right now, maybe you just moved into your neighborhood and you don't know anybody. That's okay. Maybe you've been there for 10 years like me and you don't know anybody. That's not as okay, but there's mercy. All right? Thank God for mercy, right? <clears throat> but listen, look at this scripture that Paul talks to the, the Athenians about on Mars Hill. He says this, from one man, speaking of Adam, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And I began to think that God in his sovereignty put Kathleen and I and our kids, when, we, when they, they were still with us when we moved into Venable Street, he sovereignly planted us there for a reason. He miraculously got us a house in Vancouver that we own at that time through a very, very proactive Chinese real estate guy who was full of the Holy Spirit and kept calling me when I said, we can't afford this and we can't do this. This is stupid. This is silly. And I'm so glad I listened to him, finally, and to Kathleen. I was listening to Kathleen, too. But I, I'm realizing that God in his sovereignty put us where we are for a reason. God has put you where you are for a reason. Those neighbors that are around you. He sa- it says here that God is not far from any one of them. In him we live and move and have our being. They're seeking him. Now, some of them it's through New Age and... and the Tao and and, and and drugs or 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 you know promiscuity. I mean it, 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 whatever. They're, but they're seeking. See, our place is not to judge what they're using for in the search, it's just to recognize the search. And to say, Father, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you up to? In my neighborhood? In my block. My apartment. Apartments are incredible. Incredible opportunity. You ever see somebody moving? <laughs> they could use help, right? Do you, do you ever? There's a reality show called House Hunting where the, 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 the people are looking for a house and they're, you know, they want to look at the floors and they want to look at the design. And, and, and Jay Pathick writes, he's amazed that people never, in the house hunting, they never look at their neighbors. But there's this beautiful Canadian ad where the guys are looking for a house and they buy the house. And then they look out the window, and their neighbors are nude sunbathing. And so the ad says, you know, your realtor will also take a look at your neighbors. <laughs> you know um, but the point is, is how many of us really think about our neighbors when we're going to buy a house? Like, we just had a big construction project. Sue knows this. We had a big construction project next door. Two, two du- a two-unit duplex has been built. You didn't know how old I was, did you? All right. <laughs> okay. um, but I, I'm, you know, when, they, when, when new people move into your neighborhood, are you watching for them? Because they're so, di- what did you feel like when you came in? The disorientation, the, what are my neighbors like? What, what happens when somebody shows up with a fruit basket? A love basket. Chocolate's even better, right? But there's just, you know, what happens when somebody has a new baby? Our neighbors right next door, they're having a new baby. <laughs> love babies. So, you know, see these as opportunities. Now, maybe you're like me. I'm an introvert, okay? I like to come home, crawl into my little cubbyhole, open a book, read, and read about how to love your neighbors. And how many are kind of, you know, that's like, that's you, right? Yeah. I just, I'm just i an expert at loving your neighbors. Yeah. But you know the doing part. But Karen, I think, you know, I mean, she's the expert. What she talked about last week, she gave some incredible ideas. What's wrong with just having a once-a-week community meal? Where anybody's welcome? <clears throat> and, you know, start small if you have to. But, you know, you could be talking to someone and just say, Hey, come on over. Wednesday nights we have a community meal or Whatever, there's different ways. Let me, let me, let me uh, give you some concluding thoughts before we go into our exercise. When we try to love everyone, we end up loving no one. Number two, we can only do a few things really well. Okay, I don't care how gifted you are. You can only do a few things really well. So let's make sure that one of them is the one thing that Jesus said matters the most thirdly a good neighbor always trumps a good program and fourthly this is really profound it's really hard to love someone if you don't know their name so may i suggest that we start there i would like to give kudos to i think a family who does this really well i think dan and kirsten who are right now this was at their picture in zanzibar a spice farm somewhere in rwanda is that in rwanda Oh, that's a country. Oh, I thought it was a province of Rwanda. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. All right. Well, maybe they'll let me back in the pulpit. I'm not sure. But, but this is Dana Kirsten, with her three children, Aiden, Elise, and Chloe, with their niece, uh, Kyra, with some friends. But what I've noticed in their uh, I don't know, 15, 10, 10 years that they've been neighbors where they're on their street, is they live this out. They live this out. They're amazing Christmas parties. Uh, when I, they invite me to the Christmas party and all their neighbors are there. It's amazing. And I make friends with some new neighbors. You know? So kudos. And they're going to be back soon. Woohoo! Boy, that was powerful and passionate. All right. So our... Our little worksheet that you have in your bulletin, I'd like you to pull it out, and I want us to do a little assignment for a few minutes. And this assignment, uh, I did, I call it the chart of shame, because that's how I felt when I did this. In fact, I think they call it that in the book. But they said, when when you feel the shame, they said, don't run away from it. And here's how they say it. Feel the burn. Feel the burn. So uh, there's extra pens. Uh, if you need one, raise your hand. If you need a chart, raise your hand. If you didn't get one with the bulletin. And So pull that out. Don't start yet. Don't start. What I want you to do is you just look at this chart here. This represents your house or your apartment or wherever you live. Okay? (laughs) These squares here represent your neighbors beside you or in front of you. I cheated on mine because we're kind of in a duplex, and so I know these neighbors, but I also know these guys across the street, so I put one of them over here. All right? And... No, it's not cheap. that's not cheating. <laughs> They're my neighbors. <laughs> All right. Tony Yellowhouse, right? Um, we got this guy. Uh, he's African-American. He grew up in the States. He moved into a house across the street. And he's got this big, big, bright yellow house that he painted. And so at the block party last, last, um, last year, his name tag said Tony Yellow house. <laughs> 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 uh, So that's where that comes from. Um, so, um, what I want you to do is, in as many squares as you can, fill out first of all the name of the person who lives in 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 that house. Okay. So, so do that in all of the squares, just in any of the squares around you. Just fill out the first name. Now, some of you just moved in to a place, so so I understand that it's it's hard, and um, but but that's okay. It, the key is, is what we're trying to do today is identify where you are. Okay? That's all. And, and, uh, and there, there's, there's uh, no condemnation. Shame maybe, but no condemnation. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, the second thing is uh, once you've filled out the name, fill out any information that you know about the person. That's kind of facts, data. It's 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 not it's it's just be something you wouldn't probably know without talking to them, okay. So, like for example, that information I know about Tony, I didn't learn from the gifts of the spirit; I learned from talking to him, okay. <laughs> now, I mean, by all means, feel free to practice the gifts of the spirit, but uh, and the and the same. Lastly, is is more in-depth information. This has to do with their hopes, their dreams, maybe uh, issues of of suffering, needs, fears, where they're at in their spiritual journey. So this is more in-depth stuff. So three categories, name, then kind of surface details about their life. Tony grew up in in America, San Francisco area. Um, And then more more in-depth stuff, which, by the way, keep that to yourself. Obviously, you want to don't want to broadcast that all over the place. But just, just for your own reference. Now, um, with this, you may, you need, you, you're going to need a minute. In fact, what I'll do is I'll give you a couple minutes because I'm blabbing and some of you just need to think for a minute. So let me let you do that. And uh, Mark, if you can have a little pre-recorded music ready to go. Because Mr. DJ, thank you. Oh, man. give you just a couple more minutes some of you got done pretty fast all right so Joanna just mentioned to me motive I think we covered this already, but just so you're clear, what's our motive? Huh? Oh, oh, oh okay. Attack. We covered it, didn't we? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love somebody if you don't know them. All right? So that's it, pure and simple. And the winner... The most winners... Uh, okay. Most get surprised. Is that how it is? <laughs> all right. So so sometimes those of us who were raised in Campus Crusade or whatever, different evangelistic organizations, all of a sudden see evangelism all over this. All right? And this is, this is to uh, get my neighbors to come to church or, or, or to win them for Christ. Well... I, I like to say it this way. Um, you can evangelize without love, without loving. But you can't love without being good news. Right? So it's, it's the, the, there is no ulterior motive. It's to be neighbors. It's to obey the first and great commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. And, and don't get ahead of yourself. You're going to meet people from all walks of life who have different lifestyles, different philosophies, different values. Love them. Just love them. Don't get ahead of yourself. So let me really put that caution out. There's a, there's a Billy Graham thing coming through the city, and, and it's called My Hope Campaign. And I prayed about it, whether we should jump on board, because what you do is you gather a group of friends and neighbors And you show them this powerful video that that the Billy Graham organization has put out. And I think it's wonderful. I think it works in a lot of places. But I just sense in my own heart a check that that God is really wanting us to go deeper right now. And to just really understand place and placement, where he has put us. Uh, I love Eugene Peterson's translation of John 1. 14, and the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> I love that. So it's just about being present to people and loving them. And um, will spiritual conversations come? Absolutely. You better believe it. We're in a very spiritual city. But that's not our motive. Our motive is to love, to obey this, the second half of the great commandment. Is that clear as... Clear is clear. Can can you can you can you honor that? Can you respect that? Um, just really work hard on that. I think it's it's just so critical for our our city. Um, our city is is so full of people who've been burned by religion because people have an agenda of how um, how they're gonna have a wonderful plan for your life. And I and I. And I, I think Jesus does have a wonderful plan for your life. I think I think the kingdom of God and the, and the gospel is the greatest thing in the whole world. But I really believe that this whole area of loving is just, and neighboring is really critical to this. So please, if you could take off your evangelism glasses and, and all of that stuff, just really take those off. And discipline yourself to just be neighbors. And... Uh, And usually I found in my experiences that when I do that, I end up having way more wonderful, authentic, real evangelism connections anyway um, as a result. Now, here's your assignment for the coming week. You did this in class. Your assignment is this. Learn the name of one of your unknown neighbors this week and fill in their square on your block map. Okay? You may not know all three points, but at least get their name. And when I started practicing this, now Kathleen and I, Joanna and Wade, and all of our leadership, we're doing this, okay? We're all taking baby steps like a lot of you are in this. And this is not something I'm telling you to do. This is something I want to walk with you in. I want to share stories, exchange stories. But a few weeks ago, I cheated a little bit. Because I was trying to do this. And the problem in Vancouver is some names of my neighbor's I can't pronounce, okay, let alone remember them, um, so there's a challenge there, and it's, it's, it's actually, I'm not joking, it's it's true of some of our neighbors, um, but there's one uh, kind of Eastern European family across the street who I'm always connecting with, but I never get their names, like, I don't, and so uh, just a few weeks ago, I connected in the back alley, they were taking their kids off for a bike ride, and and I heard the I heard the, the, the woman say to her, her, her partner, Stefan. I went, Woohoo <laughs> So I went there and wrote it down on the block, right? So if you're an introvert, that's allowed. Right? That's allowed. Whatever it takes, right? But the key was I wrote it down and I remembered it and now I'm praying for them. I can pray for them by name. Right? And I pray for my other neighbours by name. Love to love them. And, and I'd like you uh, to be praying, uh, if you, either in your home group or wherever. Spend some time in prayer together. You can do it now if you have time. Lifting up neighbors you know by name. Ask God to give you a desire to be in relationship with your literal neighbors. It's a sad day when we have to add that word literal, right? With your literal neighbors, right? But let's just do that as a tool for now. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are uh, really bad at this. We're a very transient, mobile, restless, shiftless, individualistic culture, society. And yet, Lord, you've already gone ahead of us in our city by speaking to people who, who are not even necessarily Christians about the power of neighboring, the power of obeying, the second half of the great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourself. So, Lord, I, I just ask for a purifying of our hearts, for a cleansing of our hearts. And, and, Lord, I know that some of us are students and working with academic deadlines and busy, and, and we're going, how in the world? I just pray that none of us would see this as something added extra to our life. That, Lord, that it would some, you would give us wisdom to integrate it into the way that we live, Lord, and that You will show each of us what we can do in the context of the time and the place that we were in. That that You would give us creative ideas, and and that You would give us an alert alertness to just stop, even if it's for three minutes, just to say hi to somebody, just to talk, just to connect. Uh, restore the front porch, Lord, if not literally and physically. At least socially, would you would you do that, Lord? By the power of your Holy Spirit. Now we have some fridge magnets here. And do you want to just quickly explain this, Joanna? What they're gonna do? The, the, these, uh, fr- Did we order these or were these made? How how'd you do that?
1: Team Pallister wow. Incorporated. Ooh. This is we had our own little sweatshop with Sophia and Eleanor and me at the <laughs> kitchen table. Um yeah, so the idea is that this is meant to be a more permanent thing in your house because if you're like me, you bring your bulletin home and then you might find it at some point and then you go, oh, the thing with the stuff I was supposed to do a week ago. So, um, so this is a magnet that you can stick on your fridge. I'm sorry, I couldn't get a heavy-duty enough magnet to actually hold anything up with, but it will stick. And it's exactly the, the, the piece of paper that, that you've been working on today but just in a more colorful form. And the idea is once you've learned people's names and you know them, it's an, a, a, a little bit of a sturdier thing that you can stick up there and write their names down. And um, yeah, it's just been amazing just having an awareness, just knowing the series was coming. Where I'm going to have an opportunity to share more next week about what's just been happening for our family, just being more aware of it. But it really is something when you just think about it. And it's as simple as, you know, the other day, I was going, I'll share more about this lady next week, but the other day I was going past our backyard neighbors because our family parks in the back of our house. And because we'd been talking about this, I got out of my car and she was out of her car with her little guy. And I said, I am so sorry. I know that I met you a year and a half ago when we moved in, but I have totally forgotten your name. And she said, I am so relieved that you just said that because you just drove past me and waved. And I'm thinking, is it Natalie? Is it Lisa? I said, no, no, it's Joanna. Oh, thank you so much for saying that again. Because I was thinking just the same thing, but I didn't want. And we had a chat, and there's just been this little progression that I'll share more with you. But just I was finding myself going, okay, Lisa, Eric, Eric. And Lisa and I know I met one of my neighbors last week and already I'm going I remember the name of her dog but not her that's so embarrassing so it's just a little tool to to help that so there's one for every family to take home and that's that's the idea is just something a little bit more permanent to kind of help you and and just get get hopefully get better at being a good neighbor so that's it
0: yeah thanks Joanna is that going to be at the back or yeah well,
1: I'll, we in. can just hand them out right
0: now all right good <laughs> Good. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> All right. So um, a couple things. Welcome to the Vineyard will probably commence around 1 o'clock at our house. Uh, the address, again, is 2143 Venables Street. For those that are joining us, you just go down to Venables, which is about a five-minute walk that way, and then walk another five minutes. This is if you're walking really fast. Uh, to 2143 Venables. All right? And Lynn wanted to remind everybody about the, the drop in housewarming, not housewarming, but um, what are we calling it? Open house. Open house for, for Dawson and Leona, who will be here next weekend. Woohoo! All right. So if you need prayer, uh, you can either turn to a friend or come forward. Um, our time is up. We need to get our kids. So God bless you. Have a great day.